If you will, go ahead and turn back with me to Exodus chapter 34, the passage that was read for us earlier. And while you're doing that, I want to invite you to think back with me, if you will, to about four years ago. It wasn't a great time. It was the beginning of the pandemic. And if you remember at that point, we didn't know much about what was happening. And so during that season, I have this one Sunday, this one day in particular that I remember that is just ingrained in my mind. It was the first Sunday that uh, we didn't have church because of the pandemic. At that point, Allie and I were living in Austin, Texas. And so it was that first Sunday morning, and um, it was the first Sunday morning in a long time I didn't have anything to do. <laughs> no church responsibilities, nothing like that. It was just very quickly, all of a sudden, we weren't having church. Another thing happened that morning. I realized that we were out of toilet paper. And... Um, <laughs> You all know now where this is going. Remember, at that point, we didn't, okay? We didn't, we didn't know how big of a problem this was. As I realized we were out of toilet paper, I said, okay, I'm going to go get some. Uh, we lived in Texas, so I went down to the local HEB. So if you've ever been to Texas, you know HEB is amazing. Probably the best thing about Texas. They have everything. Like, literally, they have everything. And so I'm going to go to the HEB and just get some toilet paper. And also I remember, you know, there's this other detail of the story. As I'm, as I'm driving to the grocery store, I remember I, I was listening to this news podcast that was talking about news of the pandemic. And I can just remember this, this vividly as I was driving, listening to this podcast, realizing no one has a handle on this. Like, like no one is in control of this. I mean, we can look to the government, we can look to the authorities, and this is not a political statement at all. It just, no one knew what was going on. No one knew what was going to happen. And I remember that hit me, that no one is really in charge here. Well, I get to HEB and I go to the toilet paper section, and what shocked me then doesn't shock us now. They were out. And then I, I went to, to Target, and they were out. And then I went to Walmart, and they were out. Then I, tr I tried Home Depot. They were out. I think I went into In-N-Out Burger. Like, any, like I, you know, I mean, I kind of was, you know, that old ethical question, you know, would you steal toilet paper for your family? Is that, is that okay? Like, I was thinking, like, you know, what do I need to do here? Go into the bathroom, just steal the toilet paper? I don't know. But I was overwhelmed. Okay? And I mean, look, it, it's just toilet paper, right? We'll, we'll figure it out somehow. Um, but I can just remember being so overwhelmed, coming back to the car, sitting down, and just breaking down. Because it, I just I didn't know what was happening. I was scared. Um, I was so aware of the fact that I was not in control. And I was aware of the fact that no other human being on earth was in control. And I just remember just feeling this weight come on me of utter helplessness. Now, I, I just pull out that one example as a snapshot of something that happens to all of us at some, course, at some point in our life, right? Maybe it's trying to find toilet paper. Maybe it's something else. Right? Maybe you come in this morning and that's where you are, just feeling overwhelmed, anxious, hopeless, Maybe it's because of a 
family situation or a financial situation or just because of what's going on in our world, you just look at yourself and you just say, I'm, I'm fearful <laughs> and I am aware of how powerless I am. Well, if you've ever felt that, if you're feeling that now, you can actually understand the context of the passage we're studying in Isaiah. So remember, we're going to spend most of the morning in Exodus, but this whole series we see up there is looking at one passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 9-6. This prophecy that Isaiah gives and, and, and goes through these names in this passage. So if you were here last week, you may remember that Pastor Sam went into depth on the context. Isaiah is speaking to a people who are living in darkness. A people who realize how powerless they are. A people who realize they're in a helpless place. A people who are being led by foolish people. They're anticipating the fact that they're about to be invaded by the superpower of their day. It is anxious times. They're living in darkness. They're aware of how out of control they are. And what's Isaiah's solution? A birth announcement. That's how he responds. He sends out a birth announcement, and it's actually a prophecy. So the birth announcement is 700 years early. But he sends out this birth announcement. Remember, here's what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah says the solution to our darkness, the solution to our fear, the solution to our anxiety is a child. And so this morning, we're going to look particularly at that second name, Mighty God. Mighty God. And here's what I want to do. I want to explain, really take most of the time to explain the word of that that you may think doesn't need explaining. The word God. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say that this child is God? Who is God? And that takes us to Exodus 34. So let's look there, Exodus 34, because this is, I think, in all of Scripture, the passage that shows us in a snapshot who God is. It's so good that actually it is the passage of Scripture that is quoted more times than any other in other passages of Scripture. It's quoted over 20 times in the rest of the Bible because everyone saw how important this is to understand who God is. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, just some context here. This is picking up where God is revealing himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, right? Remember this? Moses can't see his face because he would be incinerated. (laughs) And so he's hidden in the rock, but then it says that God's glory passes by him and God, des- God describes himself with these attributes. So here it is, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So this is who God is in a couple verses, a survey of his attributes. And remember, who is describing this? It's God himself, okay? So this is how God himself describes God. If you ask God, who is God, here's his answer right here. 
So I think it does us well to spend some time just surveying this, right? Like what, what does this mean? So let's just take some time just to go, go over each of these attributes, looking at what they really mean, okay? Starting here, God says he's merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. Some translations say he's compassionate. The Hebrew word for merciful or compassionate is rakhum. Now, just a warning, I'm going to butcher a bunch of Hebrew words this morning, okay? Um, it turns out my East Tennessee accent does not go well with Hebrew, so my professor in seminary hated me, okay? So, let's look at rakhum here, right? Rakhum. Um, rakhum is a, is, a, is a fascinating word, okay? Here's why it's fascinating. Rakhum, we can actually pick out an English word that's kind of close to that, the word womb, Okay, rakum, they're actually closely connected, rakum and womb. What it gets at is that God loves his people as much as a mother loves the child that has been in her womb for nine months. And that is a strong love, isn't it? When you're a new father and that baby is born, you realize quickly how important that love is, right? You, you play second fiddle for a long time. Because there is that, for both the mom and the, the child, right? Because there, there is a connection between that mother and that child that is so strong from that nine months that the baby spent in her womb. Isaiah 49, 15, God says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I love this. God says, could a mom forget the baby that she is nursing? (laughs) No, could she forget the baby of her womb? And then he actually hedges here and he says, even if there is a mom who can forget the baby as it's nursing, I will never forget you. That's not the kind of God I am. And can't you think of story after story in scripture that backs this up? (laughs) That this is who God is, a compassionate God who even when we fail, responds with grace? Isn't he truly the God of the prodigal son story? The father who sees the son coming home and runs out to embrace him and kiss him and welcome him. That's our God. That's, that's Rakum. God doesn't have to run a background check on us. He knows everything. <laughs> he knows all the red flags. And what does he do? He responds with love. Jesus is not the elf on the shelf running back to tell the Father all the bad things we did throughout the year. He already knows. And how does he respond? With grace. With grace. That is our God. But we can't stop there. Next, God says about himself that he is slow to anger. This one's really funny, slow to anger. You know what the the literal Hebrew is? God is saying that he is long of nose. That's literally the long of nose. You see, in the Hebrew, there's this idiom that they would use. When someone gets angry, they say, his nose burned hot. And we understand that phrase, right? Like, we understand. So, um, you know, I'll say this this now because I'm I'm a little while out of high school. But back in high school, we had this football coach, um, great coach, great man. um, But we secretly behind his back called him Rudolph. Okay? I hope he never sees this. Um, And the reason was because he was our defensive coordinator, and every time the opposing team would score, you could look down, and his nose was glowing, right? It was so red when he got angry, 
That's how you could always see how mad he was when someone on defense missed an assignment because his, his nose would glow. Like he could guide Santa's sleigh in the middle of the night. Like it would be, it would be okay. But here's the thing. God says here about himself that he is long of nose. His nose takes a long time to get red. His nose is not easily red because he's not easily made angry. Now notice, it doesn't say that God never gets angry. He does. Because angry in its purest, anger in its purest form is love. Right? There, there are some things that if you see them happening to something, someone you love or you see injustice happening, we should respond with anger. But God's anger is so different than our anger. His anger isn't reactionary like we tend to be. We are emotional dams just ready to burst, but not God. He overflows with mercy. He, he is slow to anger. He gives people a lot of time to change and repent. There's another really big difference between him and us. When he does get angry, he only gets angry for the right reasons. When I look at myself and the anger that I experience, it is very rarely for the right reasons. I am often angry because I've been slighted in some way, or at least I feel I've been slighted, because my ego takes a hit. I don't get the respect I feel I deserve. Usually it's my pride and my ego that leads me to get angry, but that is never the case with God. His anger is slow, it's not reactionary, and it's always completely appropriate. He only gets angry about the right things. Moving on. It says it just keeps getting better. It says that he's loving and faithful. God, God is abounding in love. He says that he's a God of steadfast love. The Hebrew word is hesed. Another way we could translate that is it's, it's a loyal love. And you have seen this in action if you have ever been to a wedding or stood and had, a, had your wedding yourself. Because this is the kind of love that the man and the woman are promising to each other in that moment. Right? This is what the vows they're saying are, are, are saying to each other when they say to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's, that's the kind of love God is talking about here, a steadfast, loyal love, a love that says, when I see the ugliest parts of you, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> when, I, when the ugliest parts of you come out, I'm staying. And God says that's the love that he has for us. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He is always with us. He will never abandon us. He's the shepherd who walks with us through the darkest valley and will never let us go. Have you ever had the experience of taking a toddler into a swimming pool? You ever done this? Okay. Take a toddler into a swimming pool. And what happens? You go deeper and deeper and deeper. And what do they do? They grip stronger and stronger and stronger. And before long, their little hands are just gripping onto you as hard as they possibly can. You know what's funny about that? They think it's up to them, <laughs> right? They think that they're the one doing the holding, but it's you, right? You're doing the holding. Often, life feels like you're on a tube behind a boat on the lake, like, and it's just going everywhere, and you're getting water up in your face, and it's hitting you in the forehead, and you're like, what is happening? 
And all we feel like we can do in those moments is just hold on to our God. Or at least that's what it feels like. But he's the one doing the holding. You know that? (laughs) We think we're the ones holding on for dear life, but it's him who remains faithful. It's him as we walk out deeper into the pool that never lets us go. If you are in Christ, that is your daily existence. (laughs) You're saying, whoa, we're going in the deep end here. But he will never let you go. That's what God says. He is faithful. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. And then we get to the final descriptor. It says that God is a God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children, uh, children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So here's what we see here. We see that God is good all the way around. <laughs> he is good in his compassion. He's good in his grace. The Bible tells us he doesn't want anyone to perish. It tells us here that he forgives sin. But here's the other thing. He is good in his justice. God is a just God. Can you imagine a judge who found someone guilty and then winked and let him go? That's not a good judge, right? God is is not inconsistent. He is good all around. But let me also point out, I mean, I I think you can feel it every time you read this passage. It almost feels like the rug gets pulled out from under you when you get to that part, doesn't it? Because it's all good news, and then it's, he cannot clear the guilty. He cannot, and, we, and we know, we feel this tension because we hear that he's gracious and we hear that he's compassionate and we hear that he's merciful and we're thankful for these things because we know that we're sinners. But then we hear that he cannot clear the guilty. You feel that tension, okay? You, you feel that tension. That's good. Hold on to that, okay? We're, we're gonna come back to it and the answer, there's an answer and it is glorious, okay? We're gonna come back to it here in a second. But, but hold that tension, before I move on, let me, let me think back. I'll allow you some time to think back on all these attributes. Let me read them over you again. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, loving, faithful, just. Can I encourage you just to ask yourself a question? Is that how you think about God? When someone says God, <laughs> when we sing about God, are those the things that come to your mind. Do they? Or do you see him as aloof, disappointed, weak, reactionary, quick to anger, always looking at you with his head cocked and his arms folded? Like, what are you doing? How do you view him? Do you have the right view of who God is? A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Has your image of him been accurate? Because that has a big determining factor on how you live your life. Now let's keep going because here's where things get really amazing. Okay? It, just, it just gets better and better and better. Because remember, in Exodus, we said this earlier, Moses could not see God's face because he wouldn't be able to survive it. He would be incinerated because the glory was too much. That's where the mightiness of God comes in. That's how he's described in the prophecy, mighty God. This is a big God who made everything and owns everything, who is more glorious than we can even fathom. 
You know this? Like, I could get up here and try to reach for all the words I possibly could to describe him, and I'm always going to come up majorly short. We can never describe this glorious God. But think about this. The Bible tells us that something amazing happened. Okay? Generations later, human beings would actually be able to see the face of God. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. Right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? The Word, God, became flesh and dwelt among, among them. You know, this Christmas season, um, I actually have two Christmas songs that I cannot get, get out of my head. No matter what I, what, what, what I do, they're just constantly on a loop in my head. And the first one I'm really bummed about because I hate it, okay? Um, don't get mad. Maybe you like this one. But that song, Christmas Shoes, okay? Not for me. Okay, if you go, go look it up if you just want to ruin your day. But, um, like, I just, I don't, I don't get why we would have a Christmas song that just makes us sad, right? Like, it just literally just makes me want to cry in my car every time I hear it. So that one, I need to get out somehow. But the other is, is Mary, Did You Know, okay? Which is, which is much better, okay? I will spoil it. She knew, okay? Okay, just, she knew, Okay. Uh, the angel told her, at least, at least most of it. So that settles that. Um, you learned something today if you didn't know. But in this song, there is this one very powerful line that sticks with me. Okay. It says this, Mary, when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And that is theologically accurate. <laughs> okay? So think about this how far this has come. Exodus 34, Moses can't even see the face of God. He can only see his back or he will die. To now, Mary, what we celebrate at Christmas, that Mary can kiss the face of God in this helpless, little, tiny, kissable human baby. And yet, don't get it twisted. Even as she can kiss this baby, the baby is still God. <laughs> the baby is still mighty God. He never stopped being mighty God. Think about that. What a miracle. Okay? Like, like what a miracle. I mean, like, okay, we can, you know, we, we celebrate this every year. We should celebrate this every day. It can become old to us. We sing the songs and we take it for granted and we look at our nativity sets and, right, it's all just really cute and festive and nice. The God of the galaxies became a baby. Right? Like, that, like, that's, like, when you come to Christmas at West Park tonight and you're singing these songs, that's what we're singing about. That the God of the universe became a helpless child. Notice how mind-blowing this is. You know, we, in our day-to-day -day lives, because it's just the water that we swim in, we are obsessed in our culture with upward mobility. If we are not moving upward, we feel like we're not accomplishing anything. Right? Like everything has to be getting better, moving upward, getting the better job, going forward. But look at Jesus. Jesus gives us a picture of downward mobility, of loving others so much that as the God of the universe, you're willing to become a baby. How amazing is that? The humility of Jesus that he models for us. And think about this specifically. This baby in Bethlehem. Okay, so, so connect these two things. We studied Exodus 34. We see the baby in Bethlehem. They're the same God. 
You see this? That all those attributes that we talked about come together in Jesus. Come together in this little baby. And then he grows up and he does this amazing thing. He actually illustrates how this is true for us. I, I, this is so amazing to us. So first of all, we see it in his life, right? Think of all those attributes I talked about. Don't you see that over and over again in Jesus? He is Exodus 34 with flesh on, right? Walking around for everyone to see. But Jesus actually makes it even more explicit for us. He, he, he shows us this. And here, you don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screens for you. But I want us to look at Mark 6. Mark chapter 6. In Mark 6, the disciples are rowing their boat across the sea, and Jesus has separated from them. Okay? So Jesus has told them, you all go here, I'm going to go up and walk up this mountain and go pray to my Father. And then in Mark 6, they're, they're rowing across the sea, and Jesus sees that they're having some trouble. Okay? Here's what we see. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 48. It tells us this. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m., he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. What do we see here? Well, first of all, we, we see for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that the baby in a manger is truly mighty God. <laughs> because he grows up, and he walks on water, and he calms the wind, and that's just a, a little piece of all the things that he did. Okay? So he shows, without a shadow of a doubt, that he is fully human, but also full of might, fully God. But here's what's really cool. I, I love this. There's this random line in this passage. Maybe it stuck out to you as I read it. It says that as Jesus was walking on water, he meant to pass by them. See that? He meant to pass by them. And now when you read that the first time, it kind of sounds like that thing that we do at the grocery store. Okay? Don't tell me you've never done this. You're walking and you see someone you know down an aisle and you love that person, but you just don't feel like talking right now. So you pass by them, right? But then they inevitably see you and you're like, oh, sorry, I just, I just run sometimes like around the grocery store, you know, and you go to, you know, get into the conversation. It's, yeah, we can read that as like, that's what Jesus is doing. He's walking on the water, but he didn't want the disciples to see him. So, you know, he just kind of goes by and then they see him and it's all ruined. But that's not what's happening here. In the surrounding context of the Gospel of Mark, Mark is drawing all these parallels between what Jesus is doing and what's happening in the story of Exodus. You can actually go through and pull out things in this section that match up with what's happening in Exodus. Here's an example. What was Jesus doing right before this? Going up a mountain to talk to God. Didn't someone else do that in Exodus? Right? Moses, okay, that's what's happening in Exodus 34. He's going up to meet God at the top of a mountain. Okay, so, so with all that in, in mind, let's read this, okay? Here's what it says. Exodus 34, or verse 6. See if you notice anything. It says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see it? Okay. The Lord passed before him. Okay. That phrase actually shows up four times in the context of Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him. And what do we see Jesus doing here? Passing before them. Okay. Passing before them. Again, we have to make the connection. Here's what Mark knows. Mark knows his readers are going to be familiar with Exodus 34. <laughs> they're going to see that phrase pop up when it says Jesus meant to pass by them, and they're going to go like this. That's that God. <laughs> like, like that's, that's him. Like, Jesus is the God of Exodus 34. <laughs> okay? like, like, this is the same God. The, the, the God, this, this, this man that the disciples get to see face to face, this is him. And then you look at the surrounding story, and again, we see Jesus is Exodus 34 in the flesh. Mercy and grace and love and faithfulness and justice, all in a human being. And the disciples are looking at him in the face. And think about this. Here's what's really exciting. You know this? Jason prayed about this earlier. One day, we're going to get to see his face too. <laughs> right? What's true of the disciples, one day that's going to be true of us. <laughs> One day, either we'll go to be with him or he's going to come back again, which we wait for on Advent. And we're going to get to see him face to face. The God of Exodus 34, something that Moses didn't even get to do on Mount Sinai. Let me point this out as well. This all comes together at the cross. This all comes together at the cross. Remember that tension earlier. He's forgiving, yet he's just. How can he be both. Well, at the cross, we see his justice. Because Jesus, the one without sin, God himself willingly acts as our substitute, our living hope, who lives the perfect life we could never live and dies the death that we deserve. Amen. You know, we're talking about the mighty God. So if you look at this, it's the word El Gabor. And this word El Gabor, it has connotations of a mighty hero. Someone who comes to save his people. Jesus did that. Jesus, think about this, the hero was willing to die for the villains to save them. He was willing to do what we deserved in order to save us. So we see here, we see his, his justice, but we also see his love. The cross proves that everything that he describes himself as in Exodus 34 is true. Earlier, I, I used this quote from A.W. Tozer. Right? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Amen, right? That's great. Um, C.S. Lewis, interestingly, interacted with this quote. And he said, yeah, it's true in a sense. It's, it's a great quote. Keep using it. It's awesome. But it's not fully true. There's actually... One thing more important than that, and it's this. What comes into God's mind when he thinks about us? The cross is the answer. Love, right? I mean, think back to Exodus 34. Love, compassion, mercy, right? Like, that's what he thinks about when he thinks about us, how much he loves us. The cross shows us both that we were so bad that Jesus had to die for us, but we are so loved that he was willing to do it. Now, let me close like this, okay? Let me close like this. I started the whole 
sermon off. Just thinking back to those early days of the pandemic for me, right? Out of control, anxious, fearful. I'm sure we've all had those moments. Here's what I want to say first of all. When you have that moment, you know what's happening? That is smelling salts to wake you up to the fact that that's been the truth all along. You were never fully in control. <laughs> you were, we, we like to think that we are, but when we have those breakdown moments in the car, all we're realizing is what is true of us on a daily basis. Okay? That we are never fully in control. But here's the good news. Let me remind you who is. <laughs> okay. Who is in control? Our mighty God. Amen. Right? Our mighty God. Our merciful, gracious, loving faithful, just God. What does Isaiah say? The government is resting on his shoulder. And he is so mighty that not even death could stop him. That's our God. Our mighty God who loves us is not worried. God never bites his fingernails. You know that? Okay. I don't have fingernails anymore, honestly. God never bites his fingernails. And listen to this. If you are in Christ... If you have trusted in him, if you have bent the knee to him as king, you are as secure in God's love as he is. The Apostle Paul reflects on this in Romans 8, and here's what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If, listen to this. I know, hey, and I'm not, look, I'm not downgrading what you're going through. Life is often hard. Living in a sinful world in the already but not yet is hard. And there's a place for us to grieve, right, and lament. And we can weep just like Jesus wept because this is not the way it's supposed to be. But let me say this as well. If you are in Christ, you are as eternally invincible as he is. If you are in Christ, do you know what the worst case scenario for your life is? Resurrection <laughs> and everlasting life with Jesus. There's no reason to fear. Your mighty God has got you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that is true. <laughs> that that is true. That, that you, that you love us just the way that you described in Exodus 34. And that you are mighty and in control. And so often it feels like um, it feels like there's no hope, okay? but that's never true if we are in Jesus. If we have trusted in you, there's always hope. And we are eternally invincible. Lord, we thank you for that. Let us during this Christmas season just both be reminded of what you've already done and look forward with faith to the fact that you're going to come make everything right again. You're going to come make all things new. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.